Yes, Father, we do praise you. You are high and exalted and lifted up. You are good. You are faithful. We exalt you. We worship you. We praise you. You are worthy. Oh, God, you are worthy of our praise. Worthy are you, God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You're worthy. You're worthy. We lift up and glorify your name. We exalt you. And we just rejoice in your presence. We do receive your love afresh, even as we have worshiped. We receive and we say, Father, that your love, your love is better than life. And the love that we've received and the breath that you put in our lungs, we turn it back to you. We give it back in praise for you are worthy. Great is your faithfulness, God. Open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear and be changed as we reflect and focus on you, our faithful God. We worship and adore you. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. Before you are seated, and as the children would be dismissed, children in sixth, or from kindergarten to sixth grade, dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Mara and Miss Linda. Uh, we look forward to what they have in store, and if you have a Bible, to open it to the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 34. Uh, just in honor of God's word, asking you to stand as I would read it aloud, Exodus chapter 34. Uh, verses six and seven, this is what the Lord says of himself, the faithful God. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Grateful for this opportunity to gather together and uh, to worship the Lord on this 4th of July weekend, and as we celebrate our freedom in our country. We celebrate our freedom in Christ as well. And I uh, look forward as we uh, celebrate him and worship him and as we look into his word of how we will be changed. We'll celebrate communion here in a few moments. Uh, but today as we continue in this series on uh, lifting up our low view of God, having our view of God lifted higher and higher, we, uh, we focus this morning on the faithfulness of God. Uh, we sang about it uh, throughout our worship time, uh, celebrating his faithfulness. Yesterday, we celebrated uh, my mom and dad's faithfulness. Last September, uh, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And um, we were hoping to have opportunity to gather together to celebrate that as a family with our 
uh, my brother's family and my sister's family, but due to COVID, my sister lives in Taiwan, and so she was not able to leave Taiwan due to all their protocols and all those kinds of things, but she was able to come, she and her family were able to come uh, this past June, and so they are home in Ohio for the first time in three years. And um, this past weekend, this weekend, we've been together as a family, celebrating being together all together for the first time in three years. There's 20 of us in my parents' house. And we, my brother and my sister and I cooked up the idea that since we would all be together and my mom and dad had not had a celebration, we had all together of their 50 years of marriage that we were gonna try to pull off a surprise 50th anniversary party. And we figured, as my brother said, we had about a 13% chance of doing that. My brother brings up all these random numbers from all over the place. He's silly. Uh, but we figured out, if nothing else, we'll have a good party. Well, somehow, from the four corners of the world, me in Pittsburgh, my brother in Minnesota, and my sister in Taiwan, we were able to pull off a surprise 50th anniversary uh, for, our, for them and 47 of the closest people in their lives. We had 49 people gathered together just to celebrate them and to celebrate their 50 years. And as I think about that, and think about the faithfulness of God, I think about that, it's, it's a celebration of their love, a celebration of their friendship, celebration of family, but, but 50 years really is a celebration of faithfulness, isn't it? 50 years, a celebration of their faithfulness to God first. My parents are believers who have made the Lord the center of their lives and of their marriage and of the family. So it's a celebration of their faithfulness to God. It's a celebration of their faithfulness to each other. Celebration of their faithfulness to me and to my brother and to my sister, their children. A celebration to their, of their faithfulness to their 12 grandchildren, to their friends, to their extended families, to humanity as they offer on that. When I do weddings, there's a phrase in the whole thing that we offer in marriage on the altar of sacrifice and offering to all of humanity as well as we do it to God. It's a blessing to humanity, healthy marriages. And so really, as I think about the faithfulness of God, I think about my parents and their faithfulness in 50 years of marriage. Faithfulness is one of those attributes of God that we are touched by and that we are able to share and to reflect. We're able to demonstrate faithfulness. But you and I know not to the degree that God is able to share and to demonstrate faithfulness. We as humans fail. We as humans are not fully faithful. I was reminded of that in my relationships with others this week that we don't live up to our word all the time, that we don't live up to our promises all the time, that we don't fulfill our responsibilities as we should all the time. That even though we may strive for faithfulness, that we as human beings are not always faithful. And oftentimes, it can let us down but it will always point us away from full faithfulness or full dependence on human beings, but it should point us to full dependence on God because God is always faithful. So this morning, we wanna spend a few moments as we would prepare also to celebrate the faithfulness of God in communion. 
through Christ. We wanna focus on four truths that will lift up our view of God and will help us, Lord willing, to depend more on him and more on his faithfulness. If you are a note taker in your bulletins, there are sermon notes that you can fill in um, as we would look at four truths that will help us to depend on God more but also lift him up as the faithful one. First truth is this, and that is that God declares himself faithful. God declares himself faithful. It's what he says about himself. I read it before we were seated, and I'll read it one more time, going back to verse four of of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, verse four, uh, Moses is on the, the, the mountain. He's already received the Ten Commandments once, but after the idolatry of Israel, he's broken them and God has invited him and called him back up to the mountain to get the new set of stone tablets, the new Ten Commandments by which God would live in relationship with his people Israel. And so Exodus 34, 4 says, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. In verse six, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. He's just saying, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. This description of God is the most used description of God in the Old Testament. God says that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that he is abounding in love, that he is a is faithful, is abounding in love and faithfulness, that he is forgiving. What is interesting is that all of these attributes, you cannot fully separate them out. Tozer says this in his chapter on the faithfulness of God. He says, in studying any attribute, the essential oneness of all the attributes soon become apparent. We see, for instance, that if God is self-existent, he must also be self-sufficient. And if he has power, he, being infinite, must have all power. If he possesses knowledge, his infinitude assures us that he possesses all knowledge. Similarly, his immutability, his unchangingness, presupposes his faithfulness. If he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful since that would require him to change. Any failure within the divine character would argue imperfection and since God is perfect, it could not occur. Thus, the attributes explain each other and prove that they are but glimpses the mind enjoys of the absolutely perfect Godhead. All of that to say, Tozer saying you can't just say God is love, God is compassion, God is merciful, God is faithful. All of them are dependent on each other. He is perfect faithfulness. 
And because he is perfect faithfulness, he will always be love. He will not fail. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is absolutely faithful. But all of these attributes hinge together. And as I'm reflected on it, I wonder sometimes what would happen if God wasn't faithful? He would be loving one day and maybe not the next. He would be powerful one day and maybe not the next. He would be merciful to us one day, but maybe not the next. But because of his faithfulness, all of who he is remains unchanging. Who he is, we can always trust. We can always depend on. Even to the point that he is faithful in both the good and, as you see, in justice. Because he is a God who is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But for those who do not repent, who do not confess their sin, his faithfulness also extends to the fact that he has to. We'll look at justice one of these Sundays. He has to punish sin. And he says he, he punishes to the third and the fourth generation for the sins of the father. God is faithful. And so we can hold up and celebrate he's faithful in love, he's faithful in mercy, he's faithful in compassion, he's faithful in forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, and we celebrate that. But we also hold that he is faithful also to be a God who punishes because he cannot tolerate sin. He is slow to anger and he is slow and abounding in love and so he's not gonna rush into it, but his faithfulness is on both sides. We as humans tend to go to one side or the other. He's either all punishment or all love, but both. He is faithful and he will do and he will live according to who he says he is. It's who he is. It's essential to the character of God, the faithfulness of God as he declares himself. He always does what he says and he never fails. Moses who received these commandments and who received it from God, the faithful God, says it this way in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, nine, or chapter seven, verse nine, at the end of his life as he is giving the reminder message of who God is to the Israelites before they were to enter into the promised land. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping the covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his command. If there's anybody who would have known the faithfulness of God, I think we can say it would have been Moses at that place. He had been with God. He, had, he was a face-to-face -face friend with God. He received these. He had seen God. But yet, he says, if there's one thing I know, it's that God is faithful. He is God, and he keeps his covenant with his people. So as Moses says this, we can take it to the bank that God is faithful, which leads us to ask the question, what are some of the things that God is faithful to? And above all, we sang this morning about the promises. And above all, God declares himself to be faithful. He declares himself to be faithful to his promises, which is truth number two. From the beginning of scripture, as God creates and sin comes into the world, God makes promises right at the beginning. The promise that God would send a deliverer, that God would send one who would crush the head of Satan, that God would send one, as, as he declared over Adam and Eve the curse, 
that there would be a redeemer who would come, who would crush the head of Satan. He raises up Abraham and he makes promises to him that he would bless Abraham and would create a people that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And out of that, there would be blessing, blessing that would come to all peoples. He gives promises to his people Israel that he would be faithful to them as they were faithful to him. And even in their faithlessness, which we'll see in a moment, God was faithful to them. He prophesied and he promised that there would be a ruler on the the throne of David forever and ever and ever, that he would send a savior, that he would send a deliverer, that God had promised that he would make all things right, that he would restore a fallen creation, that he would be our God, and that we would be his people. He is a promise maker, and he is a promise keeper. We see this throughout the scriptures, but we see it in the story of a man named Balaam. And if you would turn with me to the book of Numbers, if you're in Exodus, it's just a few books back, so Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus is after Exodus, then Numbers. To Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. At this point in Israel's history, God has been performing miracles, has been showing that he is the faithful God to his people Israel. And there are kings and there are peoples who are around that are the enemies of God's people. And one of those is a man by the name of Balak who is the king of the Moabites. And Balak sees all that God is doing on behalf of his people, Israel, and he's afraid of Israel. And even more, he's afraid of the God of Israel because of what God has done for them. So Balaam is kind of one of these mysterious, kind of interesting figures in scripture because he's more of a magician sorcerer who becomes a prophet of God. And God calls him to speak the message to Balak that he has for Balak to hear. Because Balak decided that I'm gonna get this magician, sorcerer, Balaam to pronounce a curse on Israel so that they will not be able to prosper and so that I, as the king of the Moabites, I will be able to prosper and my people will prosper. And so he calls Balaam to himself and he says, place a curse on them. And so Balaam goes and instead of a curse, he comes back, he gets a a word from God to be able to, to share and to speak over Israel. And instead of cursing them, he blesses them. A second time, he goes off after Balak is mad. He's like, I, I, I had you come so that you would curse them and instead you're blessing them. Go and get another word from God so that you can bless or so that you can, can curse Israel. And Balaam goes off again and he gets another word from God and this time it's another blessing. Does this three times. Three blessings from God. But he says this in the midst of the second message and the second blessing instead of a curse. In Numbers chapter 23, verses 19 and 20, we'll go back to verse 18 to begin. It says, then he uttered his oracle, or his message. Arise, Balak, and listen, hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man 
that he should change his mind? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. Do you hear that? Do you hear the declaration of who God says he is through Balaam? He's not like you and me. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not like a son of man that he should change his mind waffling from one decision to another. He's not like us in that he speaks but does not act, that he promises but does not fulfill it. This is not the character of God. And so often when we have a low view of God, we can see what others have done. And we can see what even Christians have done. We can see what pastors have done. And we can look at that and say, that then must be what God is like. Friends, we will fail each other. I will fail you. But there is one person who will not. And that is God. Great is his faithfulness. He is the faithful God who when he promises, he will always, always fulfill. There is a, a man by the name of Herbert Lockyer, who wrote a book called All the Promises of God. And in that book, he tells the story of another man, Everett R. Storms. Everett R. Storms was a school teacher in Canada who decided to make a detailed study of the promises of God. And according to Time Magazine, Storms, during his 27th reading of the Bible, set about the task of figuring out how many promises God had made in the scriptures. It took him a year and a half to do this detailed study, and what he came up with was a grand total of 8,810 promises, of which 7,487 of them were promises that God made specifically to humankind. 7,000. 487 that God has made to humankind. The majority of which, many have been fulfilled already. And those that have not are still future and we can take it to the bank that God will fulfill his promises. Joshua, as he came to the end of his life after leading the military campaign of Israel to come in and to inhabit the promised land, said this to the people. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. Bible way of saying I'm about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Praise the Lord for his promise-making, and his promise-keeping. He is faithful. And because he is faithful, he is faithful to his promises. 
and we can depend wholeheartedly in him. Ultimately, the promises of God are seen in this third truth, and that is that Jesus is God's faithfulness displayed. Jesus is God's faithfulness displayed. Hebrews chapter two, if you would turn with me there, you have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, Romans, couple Corinthian letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the way through until you run into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17 specifically, but I wanna read for us starting in verse 14. The author of Hebrews is writing about Jesus. In chapter one, he talks about how Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the representation of the being of God, that we see what God is like in the person of Jesus. And how Jesus, in chapter two, is, has been made like us. Fully God becoming fully man. Verse 14 Hebrews chapter two says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Verse 18, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus the Son of God, fully God, with God from the beginning, took on flesh and blood, being made in human likeness like us so that he could become our merciful and faithful high priest, the one who would stand between God and man. And by doing so, the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 17, that he was able to make atonement for the sins of the people. He was able to be the one who offered the sacrifices. The priests would be the ones who would sacrifice the animals and would offer the grain, who would come so that the forgiveness of God would be extended to the people when they sinned. Every morning and every evening in the temple, sacrifices would be offered to cover the sins of the day before, over, overnight, and at night for the day that had been committed during the day. Day after day, morning after morning, night after night, sacrifices would be offered to keep the opportunity for relationship with God to be. But Jesus did something different. He offered himself as our atonement. Atonement means to cover over. To, one way theologians have said is to bring at one meant. Atonement at one meant. In other words, to bring God and man together as one. But it's through the shedding of blood, the covering of sin 
by the shed blood of an animal, but in Jesus' case, the shed blood of the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who comes to bring faithfulness as our merciful and faithful high priest to offer the sacrifice of himself so that our relationship with God could be restored, so that forgiveness would be for our sin. But atonement is not just about spiritual issues. It's also about the restoration of physical, emotional, mental, relational, all the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we think of Jesus dying on the cross about just getting us to heaven. But the sacrifice of Jesus has come so that all things might be restored. So that you might receive the fullness of life and healing and restoration that comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our faithful and our merciful high priest who has come that we might be brought into perfect relationship. That there might be healing and restoration to all of the brokenness that we experience. In this life, he has made provision through his shed blood for more and more of our brokenness to be healed. One day it will be full, one day it will be complete. But he is also the one who, verse 18, as our merciful and faithful high priest, helps us when we are tempted, helps us as he brings healing to us to say no to the old ways and to say yes to the ways of God. He himself suffered. He knows what it is like to be tempted. He knows what it's like for the power of sin. He knows what it's like for weakness and sickness to come. He knows what it is like and so he is able to meet us in our suffering. He is able to help us when we are tempted by sin. He is able when we are at the end of ourselves, when we are filled with grief, when we are filled with sorrow, when we don't know if we can trust God, he is able because he has been there to step in as our merciful and faithful high priest to help us. Jesus is God's faithfulness displayed. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God has made to us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 22. Says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been Yes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the let it be so, is what amen means, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. God is faithful and he has given Jesus as his faithfulness for us. And so the life we live now, we live in growing dependence upon God and trust in the faithfulness of Christ for us. The Spirit's ministry makes the life of Christ more. 
and more known. And so we come in dependence and we say, Jesus, we believe that you are the yes and our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. We depend on you, the faithfulness of God. Which brings us to the fourth and final truth. And that is this, that God is faithful even when we aren't. God is faithful even when we aren't. First John chapter two, if you're in Hebrews, it's just a few pages back towards the back of the Bible. Hebrews, James, first and second Peter. Then you'll come to first John. First John chapter two. First John two, one and two says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Here is God's desire. Out of the faithfulness of God and the provision of Christ, it is his desire that we would not sin. That we would not continue to live in the brokenness that has come because of sin when he frees us from it. He desires that we would not go back to the old way. He desires that we would say yes to the ways of God and no to the old ways. That is his desire, that we would not sin and live according to the brokenness that he is increasingly bringing us out of. But, second half of verse one, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Me? The pastor? You? the one who's trying to be faithful. No, Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness displayed. The righteous one. He is the one who stands for us. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, God's faithfulness displayed in Jesus is not so that we would come and be forgiven, but that he would continue to stand for us. And the more we walk with him and the more we depend on him and the more we allow his life to fill us and the more we allow life and healing and restoration that he has purchased for us on the cross, the more we allow him to bring mending of our broken relationships, the more we allow him to intersect our lives and to live through us by the power of the Spirit, the more we are able to say no to the old ways, yes to his ways, but when when we do fail, when we are unfaithful, when I don't live up to my word, I come back and throw myself upon the faithfulness and the mercy of my great high priest, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, who stands for us still. And we don't have to run away from God when we fail. We don't have to make excuses when we mess up. We can say, yeah, I was unfaithful. I was unfaithful to you, God. I was unfaithful to the person that I may not have lived up to my word for. I was unfaithful, but forgive me. God, forgive me. I stand on the confidence that there is one who is faithful. He remains faithful even when I don't. Imagine how much that will break the power of guilt and how much that breaks the power of shame because if it's dependent on me to be faithful, I'm gonna be on this roller coaster. Some days I'm gonna be feeling pretty good. Other days I'm gonna be racked with guilt and shame. But when I recognize that 
I want to be faithful because he has been faithful. But when I'm not, I have one who stands for me. I can come and I can say I failed. I was unfaithful. God, I throw myself upon your mercy. And I depend upon your faithfulness because you're a faithful God who stands for me. It's not licensed for me to do whatever I want, but it gives me confidence to run to him when I am unfaithful. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself because if it is all about him and he really is the hero of the story, he will not fail. And so even when I do, I throw myself on the mercy of God. He is faithful. Brothers and sisters, that should be such an encouraging message to us today. That should cause us to to run and to live in integrity before God and others, to be able to own where we fail, to own where we're unfaithful, because it's not about my faithfulness. (laughs) It's not about your faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness. And his life through us enables us to be more and more faithful. Even as he pours out his love, we're able to love well. There's less of me and there's more of him. And the more there is of him, the more his faithful life gets lived through me. And the more his faithful life gets lived through you. And we become more faithful people, not because I'm so faithful or you're so faithful, but because he is faithful. Amen? The message of Christianity is not about how faithful we are, how good we are. It's about how faithful he is and how good he is and how much he has been given the right in our lives to live through us so that his righteousness, his faithfulness, his love, his goodness is living through us by the power of the Spirit. Friends, that's life. That is life. The faithful one, the faithful one who is faithful even when we aren't. We want to just exalt and worship and glorify the one who is faithful. The greatest place his faithfulness has been shown is on the cross of Christ. Where the Son of God gave up his glory to come like us, become like us, and to live in perfect faithfulness and dependence upon the Father. Without sin, without his own will, without his own desires being lived out, but fully faithful to the Father's will and plan. And so we exalt him as we celebrate and as we look to the cross. It's where our life is found in Christ. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the faithful one, the merciful and faithful high priest, Jesus, gathered with his disciples. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. Don't miss the fact that because of my unfaithfulness and your unfaithfulness, it should have been our body broken. (laughs) Not with the hope of being restored 
but because of guilty ones being punished. But the faithful one offered his body to be given on the cross, broken for us. As we eat together, let us celebrate and let us rejoice in the faithful one who offered his body for us. Let us eat together. And just where you are, just take a few moments of personal time with Jesus, the faithful one, and give thanks to him. Express it to him in your own words. Jesus, you are merciful and faithful high priest. We honor you. We glorify you. We thank you for your faithfulness in offering your body on the cross. Thank you. And if you would peel back a second layer. Scriptures tell us that after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. As the good and faithful and merciful and faithful high priest, he did more than a faithful priest did. Faithful priests offered the sacrifices morning and night but our merciful and faithful high priest offered himself. The once for all sacrifice. John the Baptist declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His one sacrifice, faithful to God, provides salvation and forgiveness for all time. It enables him to forgive us of wickedness and rebellion and sin. And it enables us, or enables him to continue to stand for us even when we continue to sin. His shed blood is our motivation not to sin because of his faithful sacrifice, but he's the one who continues to stand for us. We rejoice in him, in his shed blood for us. Let us drink together. And as we did for the bread, just spend a few moments rejoicing, giving your worship to the one whose shed blood has forgiven your sin. Jesus, we honor your blood, sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of our sin. You are faithful, you are faithful. 
We honor and exalt and worship you, Jesus. Great is your faithfulness. We love you. We stand in awe of you. And we depend on you this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.